when the stars turn their gaze to marvel at the earth. When the heavens gathered breathless round a lowly stable. When a young mother wept tears of worship, falling on the baby in her arms. And the song of the earth arose in Bethlehem, soft as the tender beating of his heart. And all was calm, all was bright. Yet could this be the same God of Abraham, the conqueror of Israel, this baby, this fragile life? Is this child the one who burned his name in rapture across the gasping skies? Whose voice spoke the oceans into crashing rhythms? Who crafted the mountains into guardians of the firmament? Whose hand ignited the thirst of the deserts and the warring surge of the elemental hosts? Who breathed life from dust? Broke the oppressor's rule? Scattered the chains of his people like sand? And led them through the wilderness with a pillar of flame? Is this child the one whose presence billowed thunderous on Sinai's peak? Who surrounded Job with the roaring wind? Stood defiant in the raging furnace, wrote judgment against tyrants, and blazed on the lips of the prophets, scorching history's pages with the fury of his might. Could this be the same God who chose to come as the vulnerable king, setting his throne on straw and manger, drawing forth the tears of shepherds, receiving the gifts of wandering travelers, his fame unknown in this world. He is Jesus, the one who thunders through the heavens, yet whispers to our hearts, who reigns victorious, yet bows to serve the broken. He is God in the fury, silence. He holds this mystery balanced in his hands, holds our questions till they lose their need, until all we see is him. He holds all questions in hand until all we see is him. Until all we see is him. That video is powerful. It's enough to preach. You probably all go home now because it's just epic. The soundtrack, the words of scripture that were declared in that proclamation, that video, as we celebrate the beginning of Advent this afternoon. I want to read a verse to you very quickly as we kick things off. Romans chapter 15 It says this in verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the people praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, the Gentiles will hope in him. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, how many here are filled with hope? This afternoon, amen, praise God. This season is the season of hope. You know, you look around town, you look at the bustle in the streets, 
Sometimes you'll see the hope. Other times you'll see the craziness of, you know, everything with the season as well. This week in preparation of this Sunday, I have to admit, I've never preached an Advent series before, so it's a new experience for myself, so it's going to be a fun journey. But in research and looking at this, the word Advent, the English word, comes from the Latin Adventus, which means come into or arrival. Come into or arrival. So if we know that definition, Advent is the intentional act of hopeful anticipation, expectant waiting or longing. And for us, this side of human history, it's a celebration. It's a celebration of celebrating what God has done, what he's fulfilled in all his promises and what he has yet to fulfill. We know that Jesus Christ is coming back one day. And so how could we, Graham, how could we people, church, prepare ourselves to receive him, the King of Kings, when he returns? Advent helps us to prepare for his arrival by recalling how the people of God were anticipating with great expectation the arrival of the Messiah. And so as we look at the scriptures this afternoon, it's going to be this this journey, if you will, as we look at the words of the Bible that speak to us. They should invite us on this journey of anticipation. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ has been laid out. And sometimes as you read chapter 1, maybe many of you, and I have from time to time, you skip the genealogy because not only is it long, but there's words you probably can't pronounce. So besides the fact of the difficulty of the pronunciation, these names are not here by accident. These names are specifically shown so that we realize that through human history, through the tapestry, that God has been working intentionally through every human life, leading up to the name above every name, right at the end of the genealogy. It says, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. And through all these names, before we get to verse 17, there's names of those who misstepped. There are names of those who had shortcomings. There's the King David who slept with Bathsheba and had, a, in a way, an illegitimate son, and yet God redeemed that and used that. There's all these stories of God working. We have Rahab the prostitute in Jericho who realized, I'm on the wrong side of history. I want to be on the right side. And so she joins the ranks of the family of God, if you will. She's in that list because of the son that she bore. And so today, as we look at verse 17, it says this, so all the generations... From Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until the Christ, 14 generations. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way, that after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. 
But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. It's a powerful story of looking and seeing how this genealogy of how God is working through the tapestry was on purpose. Nothing caught God unaware. He was working in and through that history for a purpose. Now we look at the Christmas season and, you know, this is not something we're completely unaccustomed to when it comes to preparation or anticipation or especially celebration, right? It's a time where we're, we're going out and buying gifts. How many have already bought their gifts for their loved ones? I know I'm in that camp. I don't like going out or waiting last minute because of all the different things that are going on. And we also look forward to, you know, hanging out with friends, hanging out with family, the Christmas parties. I remember when I first met uh, my wife, Megan, in 2010, I don't think I'd ever really been to a true Christmas party before. Not really. Um, so my in-laws are here, Ron and Cynthia. And in that house, Cynthia, in 2010, how many trees do you think you had? 37 trees. So she had 37 Christmas trees in her house. 37 Christmas trees. And Catherine, go ahead and just clear all the slides, okay? And so in that house, there's these 37 Christmas trees, and I walk in, there's all these lights, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like this is Christmas. Look at all these lights, and I'm coming in, and Megan's like, you haven't seen anything yet. And so I walk in, and there's people after people ringing the doorbell. This place, this house was packed. Now, thankfully, they have a nice detached home. I think one of the larger ones on their block, but they're modest people, they're humble people, but yet God has blessed them. They have a wonderful place to host all these people, and I mean, we're having a Christmas party. There's people singing carols in the basement. There's food galore upstairs. Cynthia knows how to host. I mean, there's a plethora, a buffet of food for everyone's delight. It's amazing. So I'm looking forward to another Christmas party, guys. <laughs> And we look forward to these things, don't we? We plan, we, we anticipate. I'm sure people were anticipating the Christmas card, the invitation from the Demers house for that party. In many ways, as we go through scripture, the scripture's inviting us, inviting us to take part in this celebration and this invitation. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Because when you receive that invitation with a grateful heart, wow, you're gonna overflow with this this wonderful gratitude of attitude. So let me ask you a question this afternoon. What do you look forward to most at Christmas? What is it that you get up for in the morning? You know, maybe you're like some ladies, and I know some men do this too, but you live for the Hallmark movies at Christmas. 
You know, I've been trying to get into it because, you know, we've watched a lot of the same Christmas movies over and over again. I know there's some staples through the years, like Home Alone and others. But, you know, Cynthia, I know you're a Hallmark fan, and so I've been watching a few of these, and i got to admit, there's some good ones out there. A lot of them are pretty cheesy. You know, they they are pretty cheese. But there's some good storylines. And I was watching this story called The Christmas Train. And it's actually a wonderful story of two people who once knew each other, find each other again on the train. And when there's all these hoopla happening on the train, all this, the craziness is actually tuned out. And they find each other and they remember the reason for the season. And they say to one another, wow, Christmas, miracles are actually possible. And so I asked you another question. At this Christmas, in this season, as we're anticipating, what are you longing for? What are you hoping will happen? What are your expectations? Because in this season, naturally, it's a time where those types of feelings and expectation are invoked. Now, sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we think it's about that specific gift under the tree. You know, if I get that certain gift, well, I know my family really loves me. And if I don't, well, then we have another thing coming. But the whole purpose of sharing these things is as we look to the story, the biblical story of the birth of Christ, but even take a journey further back, we will see that there was this expectation of hope of the people of God who were waiting for Messiah. Think about this. In biblical times, at the time as we read this story, it's been 2,000 years leading up to the birth of Christ. 2,000 years. Sometimes when you go over there, you're like, my goodness, that's a long time to be waiting. Majority of our lifetimes, maybe we would hit 90. This is 2,000 years. And here the Israelites, who are God's chosen people to be a blessing and lights to the world, they're longing, they're anticipating this arrival, but it seems like it's taking a while to arrive. That Christmas party that they're waiting for hasn't quite yet happened, but they're waiting for the sign, the invitation to be announced. And what I found interesting in going through and searching through scriptures and pouring over, I, I realized how many times the people of God, that after the dynasty of King David, they went through these multiple exiles. And we knew prior to King David, there was the exile in Egypt, which God delivered them from, but there were subsequent exiles that the prophets of God spoke about. And maybe if you put yourself in their shoes, you would start to think, well, look at this. The Babylonian exile happened in 597 BC. Our Savior hasn't yet arrived. Here we are. We're being shipped off from our promised land of Canaan. We're now going to Babylon. We no longer have our own monarchy. This, things are getting crazy. Perhaps those promises are a bunch of hoopla. They're actually not going to happen. Or if they are, I've lost all hope. In fact, that was happening with a good chunk of people. I'm sure they had these thoughts and reasons that were swirling around. Here the prophets are probably hearing these reasons, Ian. They're hearing these reasons, and so these prophets, they step on scene, and they're steadfast. They're saying, don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. And God speaks through these prophets. The children of God, it may seem crazy, it may seem bleak, it may seem dark, but God is going to fulfill his promise to, that he made to Abraham. He said that you will be a great nation and numerous and that you'll be a blessing to the nations. In fact, that David's line would be a royal line. And so these 2,000 years, they're waiting for Messiah to come. 
Perhaps you can relate with the people of God because there's times when we're waiting for breakthroughs. We're waiting for God to intervene. Perhaps things are all rosy and then maybe the loved one loses a job and your Christmas time changes. And you wonder, well, where's God in all of this? And so it's helpful to put ourselves in the seat of the people of God as they're waiting. And ultimately, their greatest hope, because that's what we're talking about today, hope. They were waiting for the Messiah to come to deliver them from their spiritual depravity, their fallenness that they experienced in the Garden of Eden. We all know the story, this physical and spiritual corruption, original sin took root in the Garden, but you have to love, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, God would not permit them to die in their sin. Think about it. Sure, we had the flood later on, and and God showed the rainbow to remind them he would never do that again. But then in there, God could have said, you know what? That was a fun experiment. We're just going to leave them to their own devices. But he didn't do that, did he? The hope that he left them, right as they had sinned a great sin, that God was not going to give up on them without a fight. It says in Genesis chapter 3, as he drove them out, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming, whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. And he did that as part of his plan to enact the promise, the rescue plan of salvation. Check this out, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And so naturally, the people of God who meditate on the word of God, they would be longing for this rescue. When is that deliverer going to come and strike his head and free us from this oppression, from this physical and spiritual bondage? And yet with these words of the prophets, hope remained. Because we know without a revelation from the Lord, the people perish. And so they have these words that are continuously stirring hope. And so take a journey with me for a moment. We see here prophet Isaiah, he served for about a 60-year time frame. And about 736 B.C., to 697, it's about 60 years, as I said. He served under four kings of Judah and four Assyrian kings, which means he was a spectator of all the great oppression of the Assyrians. And yet in the midst of it all, he prophesied, and it says this in chapter 9, verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it. With justice and righteousness from now on and forever, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Here's this incredible promise of the prophet Isaiah in the midst of what appears to be a dark period, that there is hope, that the light can break through the darkness. 
And as we continue this journey, there's prophets Haggai and Zechariah. They operated about the same time. So we're doing a little bit of a history lesson here. They operated around 520 BC, and they successfully encouraged the people of God that once they returned from exile to rebuild the temple that was destroyed in 587. So there's this countdown. There's the clock of God. Things are coming together. And they prophesied on behalf of God this, in Haggai 2.22, I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders, horses and their riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. On that day, this is the declaration of the Lord's armies. I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of the Shetil, my servant. This is the Lord's declaration. And make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. This is the declaration of the Lord's armies. So they're really showing a twofold purpose that not only is the deliverer, the Messiah, coming, but he's also going to come again in a conquering, victorious manner. And so then we see prophet Malachi show up on scene. I hope you're tracking with me. It's about 450 BC. The prophet Malachi is there. And it's around the time that all this hope has diminished. This hope has seemed to fade into the background. Because up to this point, the people of God have been waiting. They have been anticipating. But that hope has started to diminish. And in the midst of this silence, in the midst of the fury of the darkness, like the video showed, that God's promise yet remained. So why the silence? I've asked this question from time to time. God, why was there a period of about 400 plus years where there was nothing? No update, no spoken, thus saith the Lord, zero. The prophet Amos, who actually was around 742 BC, so before prophet Malachi, he says this, look, the days are coming. This is the declaration of the Lord God when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And if you read Amos, if you read through these um, accounts, the reason for it was this silence was due to the people of God's misdeeds in covenant with God. And you might think, well, well, what's going on here? I thought his grace is sufficient. Well, it surely is, most definitely in Christ. But at the time, there was a covenant. There was an obligation that the people were to enter into and not to enter into lightly. And yet they took this special relationship they had with God, so much so that they used it as a means to indulge in sin because of their special relationship. And I couldn't help but park that at home and here now and realize, well, that's not all that different from today. You know, we all have believers and we've all been there where we indulge in sin because, you know, your grace is enough for me. And we actually indulge. But it doesn't take away from the fact of Scripture where he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And thank you, because of Christ, we are forgiven. But here, the people of God, they don't have the luxury of this amazing grace through the Son of God, who appears on scene and gives his life for the multitudes. 
And so here we see that since the days of Malachi, the people, as I've said, have not had an update. And so what do they do with this? If you were in their shoes, what would you do, Tony? What would you do, Jim? Would you just say, ah, you know, it was fun while we were getting those encouraging words, but you know what? I'm starting to believe that it was all just a big, fun story. It sounded nice. What would we do with it? Here we see that some would have practiced and continued in their devotion while others did not. And that's why the prophet Malachi and Amos were speaking to those saying, you know, don't give up in this fervent devotion. Do not give up in this fervent devotion. So we see nonetheless that these prophets remained hopeful in the midst of this darkness to show the people the light. To show the people the light. And so let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And we're looking how there are those who continued in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of those who were maybe giving up, they waited with expectant hearts, hopeful anticipation. Because here we have the angel Gabriel predicts John's birth, the, the, uh, John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for Christ to come. It says, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was terrified and overcame with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Remember that. Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. It will never drink wine or beer. And you may be thinking, oh, geez, you know, if you are drinkers, sorry, it's just the way it was back then. And he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of righteousness to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. A prepared people. As we look at this story and seeing how God is specifically working through history, giving these words of encouragement, of hope through the ages, leading up to this point in time where Gabriel would appear to Zechariah, you're going to bear a son, and your son has a specific purpose to prepare the way for the coming deliverer, the messenger of God. And it makes me think and overflow with Thanks and just the gratitude of attitude 
that the word of God is truly a lamp to our feet. That when we open it, it is a lamp. It helps us in all our times of distress. Amen? Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a lamp on my path. I have to admit, there's times when you're in some places that can be very dark moments. It was exactly a year ago today that I completed my treatment, the radioactive iodine therapy for the thyroid cancer. And I was pondering that this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for the hope in your name of, of your healing touch. And then yet I remember in the darkness, and why I say darkness is I was hanging on all by myself for a week in my mom's basement. And it was actually pretty dark down there because there's one window and it's winter time. And so after five o'clock, it's really dark. And yet there was this tremendous time as I was going through this season wondering, God, what's going to happen? I'm waiting for the report. There was still hope stirring in my heart because I was actually preparing to give a message that Sunday about the letter of encouragement. And as I reflected on some of those notes this morning, my goodness, the word continues to encourage us. That no matter what we face, and so as we park ourselves, as we look to the people of God and how they were anticipating with great hope, that God would fulfill his promise to Abraham. As we step into their shoes, we will continue to overflow with this expectant anticipation and preparation. Think about this. When we're in darkness, hope begins when we stand in the dark and look out at the light. Hope begins when we're standing in the dark and we look out at the light. And for us, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Anyone who looks to me, follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light that leads to life. And so like our brothers and sisters of old of history, they were believing and trusting that God was on his throne of this kingdom of marvelous light and that he would shine upon them in due time. In due time. And so I want to invite us today that his holy, his loving light calls out to us, look to me. Look to me, my faithful. Look to me and I will lead you in the way of everlasting light. When I woke up this morning, the light was peering through the window over top of our Christmas tree that Megan decorated so wonderfully. I couldn't help but think of the light of the world, the light that casts out the darkness. And yet, like the video we watched, in a lowly manger, the Son of God came and in the night was born that changed human history forever. At the appointed time, according to God's perfect plan. And so as Christians, on this side of history, we have the luxury of recalling these stories, don't we? Recalling these prophecies that invite us to celebrate. Invite us to celebrate. 2,000 years, 2,000 years went by before the people of God saw their deliverer come, born in the flesh, humble as a baby. Weakness and yet the power of God working in and through him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and as we look at this message of hope, this Advent, 
the prophet Micah, who was operating around the same time as the prophet Isaiah, he said this regarding the location of Bethlehem, because not anything's by accident. Sometimes as you're reading the Christmas story, you might think, well, Bethlehem was, you know, it was a decent place for the Christ to be born, but it was specific. God had knew about this. He had laid this out. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Bethlehem, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. And we know that Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And then Isaiah says this. He speaks to the sign in chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive and have a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which we know to be God with us. And so this Christmas season, as, as we prepare, as we live with expectant hearts and anticipation for Christmas Day, let's remember why he sent his son in the form of a baby in the first place. So that we could be restored in our relationship with God. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. What a beautiful picture here that you and I are sons of God. We are part of the family of God because of what happened, what began in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. In verse 8 it says, But in the past, since you did not know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. And this highlights for us, this chapter highlights that without God's intervention, we would remain. Like when Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden, Without God's intervention, they would have remained in their sin. But God had the foreknowledge. He had a plan in mind. He had a rescue plan enacted to rescue his humanity, to rescue his beloved of which we are of that fold, to rescue us from that bondage. And so this afternoon, on this advent of hope, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the hope that we have in Christ. Hope is a powerful thing because without hope, apathy can set in. Without hope, we can become estranged, estranged from our Father and begin to act out. But when we latch on to the hope that we have in Christ within us, it's like medicine that enables us to live for Him. And so I'm going to leave you with this verse this afternoon. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says this. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. A longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Remember this, it says this in Revelation, I believe it's around chapter 22, that those who believe and trust in the name of God will be given the right to enter in through the city of God to the tree of life. 
because we put our hope and faith in Jesus Christ, we too have everlasting light. So as we look to the lights that are on the trees this Christmas season, we can realize that our hope is active, that our hope remains. Jesus Christ is the firm anchor for our soul. In him, we have everlasting life, peace, and joy through him. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you work. You worked and continue work through human history. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't by accident by the way the events happened and took place for your son, Jesus, to arrive on scene. Your word says at the appointed time he came. Lord, we thank you for that appointed time that he would, would come and give his life for all of mankind. And so, Lord, today we pause and we remember we celebrate with expectant, joyful hearts of all that you have done and what you did over 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. That your hand was upon your anointed one, Jesus. That he came and he grew in wisdom and stature and drew all men and women to himself, inviting them to be part of your kingdom of marvelous light. And so we thank you this afternoon by faith in you, as your word says that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom of your son of great and marvelous light. We love you, Jesus. Ancient of days, we love you. Come Holy Spirit, invade this space, invade our hearts. Stir us that we may walk in the way of everlasting because we have everlasting life through you. Enable us to long after what honors you. Give us the boldness to share the story of your birth because you truly are the reason for the season. We give you praise. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.